What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 43 of the Deep Ball Gridiron Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Palo, joined, of course, by my co-host, Corey Lickman and Core. We have another week to recap in the NFL and the NCAA. Let's get right into it. Yeah, let's get into it. I'm uh, ready to talk some, some football. Yeah, Corey, listen, the Sunday slate in the NFL, it started with the London game at 9.30, the last of two London games this season, and I'm, I'm honestly going to miss them. You know what I mean? We might send the Jets, the Falcons, the Jaguars, and the Dolphins there, so they, they don't get a great representation of what um, quality American football is, but you know they still got a competitive game uh, last week, and then this past week, you know what I mean? Down to the wire, the Jaguars finally snapped their 20-game losing streak. Their last win was week one of last season against the Indianapolis Colts. Trevor Lawrence gets his first career win. They beat the Dolphins, thanks to the right leg of Matthew Wright, an absolute dog core. I mean, there's probably no better feeling in the world for this guy. And, and the first field goal that this guy hit down the stretch had zero business of going in. But like once that one went in, it was like there's no chance. Like obviously he's going to hit the last one. So uh, good for Matthew Wright, good for Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer. Defeated as a head coach in the NFL in the USA. But on foreign soil, the guy's undefeated. Yeah, I mean, Matthew Wright obviously wasn't even uh, in the NFL this year. Gets an opportunity, takes advantages, takes advantage of it, hits two uh, 50-plus yard field goals. Guy probably feels on top of the world right now. But, yeah, going to this game, obviously, Urban Meyer finally, uh, finally gets his first win in the NFL, like you said. Not on American soil, but, I mean, he still got the win. And Trevor Lawrence continues to look continues to look better. Uh, he's kind of improving, I think, as a like a Jaguars front office. That's like that's all you're looking for. And I mean, the Dolphins. I don't know what happened to this team. I thought they were maybe a little bit of a fluke last year. They had like so many turnovers on defense. I wasn't sure how legit their defense was, but I don't know. I mean, Sue has been in and out of a starting lineup, but they've just. I don't know, one and five right now. They easily should be. I mean, you could say they could have won this game, but I mean, they got bailed out against New England week one. Easily could be 0 and six, but I don't know. I think I, I think Miami kind of showing they might be might be frauds out here in the AFC. But I mean, Trevor Lawrence and Jaguars, uh, good for them getting a first win, finally breaking a 20 game losing streak. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll touch on Lawrence real quick. Before I go into the Dolphins and their like inabilities and stuff like that, yeah, you mentioned Lawrence. These past really couple weeks, he started to really grow as a player and stuff like that. In the first couple weeks against like the Broncos, even the Cardinals, he made that brutal throw off his back foot. You know what I mean? He's taking strides in the right direction. That's what you want to see from a rookie quarterback. Marvin Jones also, I know, threw a nice touchdown to him in that game. But yeah, I'll turn to the Dolphins and I wanted five. People, I don't think not a lot of people I said you would expect this. You'd say definitely they exceeded expectations last year, but I think it's uh, not really reasonable to say you expect them to falter, to falter this much. But listen, they got Tua back this week. I thought Tua played one of his best games, honestly, as a pro. Uh, I think it's a shame that it kind of went to waste in a losing effort in a sense like that. It seemed like he was pretty comfortable with Jalen Waddle, who old Alabama teammate did score two touchdowns in this game. Mike Gusecki went for over 100 yards. I know they were missing Wolf Fuller and Devontae Parker, but it just seems like with the Dolphins offensively, it they just have nothing. Like, two had to throw the ball 47 times in this game. That's absurd against the Jaguars team that really hasn't, like, played great defense all year at all. I mean, great would honest, not great would be maybe a compliment to that, how good their defense is, how bad their defense has played so far. So, I just think it's a lot. Like, they have no run game at all. Their offensive line consistently is um, beat. Um, you know, like two is constantly running for scrambling or he's forced to get the ball out quick. And like their defense, that was so good on them. That was so good for them last year that they could lean on 
it, it hasn't been anything special at all this year. In fact, it hasn't. It's been below average. I mean, you missed last week Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, which doesn't help. But yeah, Brian Flores definitely has to fix something because this is a Dolphins team that does not have their first round pick this year. They gave it up when they moved back up in the draft from 12 to six. So. I mean, that pick is projected, I think, third or fourth right now. So that is not good at all. Hopefully that they can start rattling off and winning some games. And uh, core, I mean, there's a chance that a big fish comes to join the Miami Dolphins and Deshaun Watson. Obviously, these rumors have been really swirling since the offseason and stuff like that. But uh, kind of maybe it comes into fruition a little bit, especially with the Dolphins being uh, one in five this year. You almost like and maybe something had to make a change. I mean, you, you think this is actually um, – a possibility obviously I think it's a possibility but you really think this happens like before the trade deadline or more pushed back towards the offseason I mean this is Deshaun Watson hasn't played a game in a, in a pretty long time but I think the way the Dolphins are going right now um one in five I think it's a legit possibility it gets uh done before trade deadline I know I don't know about how Deshaun Watson's accusations are occurring right now but I don't know. I think the Dolphins one and five right now are kind of searching. I don't know if they would give up on Tua just like this because he's honestly not playing bad. But I think it's I think it's definitely a possibility. I think it could happen before um before the tra- trade deadline. I think on November second. So yeah, I think if Deshaun Watson honestly goes to Miami, I I don't think he he just like I kind of thought that at the beginning of the year because I thought this defense was was going to be better. Like, I didn't think they were going to be as good as last year, but I didn't think they were going to be as, like, not as good as they are now. So I think if Deshaun Watson did come to Miami, I think Miami see, Miami obviously improves with the top talent like Deshaun Watson. But, like, I thought before the year, if they had Deshaun Watson, they could potentially, obviously not as good as, like, the Bills and the top teams like that, but I thought they could maybe be in that next tier of teams who – um Definitely can make the playoffs and contend a little bit, but I don't know. I think Deshaun Watson now, they'll be a little improved, but I think from the defense taking a step back, I, I don't know if this team uh, would be able to make a run. They, it'd be a little late, but I don't know if they'd be able to make a run and uh, get to the playoffs because I don't think he can make that much of a difference. Yeah, listen, obviously, if you get Deshaun Watson, that guy, his talent and stuff like that on the field, he's going to elevate any team. But I think, yeah, maybe potentially joining a team midseason and stuff like that. I don't know how his impact would really be this season. I think it, like, at first, I've always said it's like crazy if you ask me that a team would trade for Deshaun Watson before really all of this stuff was settled out. I mean, really, the NFL hasn't like handled anything because technically he's like inactive with the Texans, you know, like, so I think it'd be crazy. But the Dolphins, they don't have their first round pick. And I think that's the biggest variable in this whole thing. Like, the Dolphins also might get so aggressive because they're like, well, we don't want to be have a top five pick and then have to be like, well, we, we, it's not ours. You know what I mean? We sent it to the Eagles. They almost might want to like have a sense of urgency to kind of like play themselves out of that pick almost to kind of like save face in the sense and make that trade that they moved back up into the draft look better. I don't know. Uh, they got to fix something. The Dolphins, obviously, they have to win games because if they don't, um, they're in trouble and stuff like that. But we'll move on to the rest of the AFC core uh we mentioned last episode we mentioned the buffalo bills the baltimore ravens and the los angeles chargers about how these three teams were four and one and we thought that they could potentially uh look like they were the top three teams in the afc maybe with the Chiefs struggling a little bit as well as the browns but uh we got to see two of those teams in action this past week core and i think the answer was pretty obvious after that game uh the los angeles chargers got 
kind of embarrassed this week. And I say kind of um, lightly because it was an embarrassment. Uh, Ravens beat him by like 30 points. 34 to 6 was the final score. Herbert couldn't get anything going on the ground. Baltimore was able to run all over the Chargers defense that has looked vulnerable against the run. And Lamar Jackson didn't really have to play hero ball for kind of the first time all season. And the Ravens got a, a nice home win. And uh, again, they just look like they're going to keep on rolling now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in this game, obviously Jonathan Taylor and um, the Colts ran all over uh, the Ravens the week before that on Monday Night Football. But Baltimore holds the Chargers to 26 rushing yards. Obviously not a lot. But yeah, I mean, this is a game. Lamar Jackson, not not his best stuff, but obviously like didn't need his best stuff. I think obviously the Ravens defense in this one. Kind of kind of dominated game holding, obviously, this explosive charges offense to six points. And I mean, the the, the Ravens had a big, uh, big rushing day, obviously, 187 total yards. And you got guys like Devontae Freeman and Latavius Murray and Le'Veon Bell being um making big impacts for, for this Ravens team. I think I don't know. I think this Ravens team, despite all the injuries they have, obviously, John um, Harbaugh. He, he's he's honestly been a very underrated coach. Obviously, his brother at Michigan. Besides this year, I mean, he's uh he's kind of had a bad reputation for the family. But I mean, Har- John Harbaugh, year after year, this guy honestly has this Ravens team as um as a top winning team in the AFC, and I expect that to kind of continue. And I think the Ravens, honestly, right now, I think they have as good a, a good a shot as anyone in the AFC to uh to get out of the AFC and make the Super Bowl right now, honestly. Yeah, I've mentioned earlier how, in the last episode, how the Ravens seemed like they were three bad bounces away from being one and four instead of four and one. This win, if you ask me, just seemed more of like the old, like the ways that we saw the Ravens win in 2019 and 2020 and stuff like that. Don't allow anything on the ground. I mean, the leading rusher for the Chargers was Herbert with 12 rushing yards. They dominated time of possession in this game. And like you said, you ran in football. Obviously, you hope Lamar Jackson, you know what I mean? Um, throws the ball out, throws the ball over. If he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to. So that was perfectly fine with stuff like that. Lamar will take that win any day of the week. I'm sure he will. So I also, we also mentioned all the bills and that thing. And I both, I believe we did both put the bills above the chargers and the Ravens and they got upset on Monday night football, a real good game against Tennessee. Uh, I, w- I liked how Tennessee played Buffalo last year. They took them, uh, on that short week, I remember, I think it was like either Monday or it was a, I think it was actually a Tuesday night game when they played and, uh, Tennessee, uh, blew him out. It was ugly. It was Buffalo's first loss of the year last year and stuff like that. But yeah, Buffalo goes for it late after being really up all game, really controlling all the game. They go down, they go on a late drive and uh, on like a fourth and maybe half a yard, Josh Allen can't get it on the QB sneak. Tennessee holds strong and they win a huge game where it's, I kind of want to say it's almost like a season changing win because Tennessee's trajectory, if you ask me, it didn't look great. You know what I mean? They had an ugly loss against the Jets. They really haven't like they got blown out by the Cardinals and stuff like that. But uh, after beating the Bills, you know what I mean? The Titans kind of reminded people that they are a, what you are, a quality team in the AFC that can beat a real good opponent. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I always thought the Titans obviously not in like the top tier. I'm going to say the Chiefs because like they're obviously the top. They see like Chiefs, Bills, even like the Ravens, maybe Chargers this year. But like I think the Titans are one of those teams obviously right below them in the AFC. I picked them to to win the AFC South before the year, but I mean, the thing about the the, the Titans, I mean, right now, Derrick Henry is just rushing at an elite clip like usual, and the thing is about them, 
as the season gets like farther in, Derrick Henry only gets better. And I, it's because it gets cold outside. No one wants to tackle this guy. No, I mean, no one wants to tackle this guy when it's 80 degrees and, and beautiful out. But when it gets colder and colder, obviously it's not that cold right now. But, like, that's why I they're so hard. Um, That's why they're a more difficult team in the playoffs. I mean, you just had to go off to Derrick Henry. He just – no one wants to tackle this guy in, in December, in January, down the stretch. So, I think the Titans could be – could potentially be a dangerous squad. Obviously, A.J. Brown is kind of quiet. He really showed signs, though. In that second half, Julio uh, had that had that really good catch um, out of bounds with a toe tap. I think this um, this Titans offense could be able to to win them some games and keep them float like in the middle to top of the AFC. I don't know how good their defense is. I know uh, Caleb Fairley got hurt on the, in the secondary, but yeah, I think this Titans team could. Um, is a team. I'll say it's a team. If you get into the playoffs, like you really, you don't want to see them. Mike Vrabel, a good coach. Obviously, Derrick Henry is just a dominant player. So yeah, I think this team is a team you don't really want to see. But I still think the Bills. Nothing to worry about. One game. I think they're still the best team in the AFC. Yeah, I mean, they they got off to a tough start in this game. The Titans and then Derrick Henry had that long touchdown run, kind of kept them afloat in the first half. And obviously, they were able to pull this game out late. You do mention that uh, Fairley went out in this game. Their cornerback situation is kind of ugly. They definitely have to get healthy there. Uh, I know, like, Janoris Jenkins is, like, really their only quality corner, I should say, that's even healthy, which is kind of saying something and stuff like that. Uh, on the Bills side of things, Stephon Diggs, I guess you could say, finally got going a little more. Uh, nine for 89 and a touchdown. It seemed like it was more of a 2020 Buffalo Bills like effort in a sense where Josh Allen was asked to do a little bit more. You know what I mean? The defense wasn't great as good as that Buffalo Bills defense has been in 2021. Uh, they weren't, you know what I mean? But then again, it, yeah, I don't know. It seems like such a deceiving 34 points than the Titans scored in that game. But besides the point, core, we still had another team in the AFC get absolutely embarrassed, if you ask me, this past week. And yes, they were playing the 5-0 and Arizona Cardinals, but with no Cliff Kingsbury and their one of their other offensive uh, coaches was out. Um, the Cleveland Browns, they had absolutely, if you ask me, no business of losing that game. And, yes, you could say that they were injured. They were missing a couple linemen. They were missing a running back. But I, I, I'm, it, it just leaves a sour taste to see that, like, the Browns, like, with no – like, going against a team with no head coach and stuff like that, like, they didn't even really show a fight in this game. Baker gets banged up in this game, too. Uh for a team that again, I I picked the Browns to be my super one of my Super Bowl teams, the team representing the AFC. Uh, I'm just a, a, a little um a little shocked at this outcome. Yeah, I mean, I think this outcome is pretty surprising. I think the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, they just continue to to basically overwhelm teams on the offensive, and their defense has played well. So I think. I think this game, if you're going to ask me who does this game show more about, I'm honestly going to say it shows more about the Arizona Cardinals being a top team in, in the league, not just the NFC in the league. Uh, Baker Mayfield sacked five times. I know Kareem Hunt goes down in this one. Donovan Peoples-Jones had that, had that Hail Mary catch uh, what, before the half. But I don't know. I just think the Arizona Cardinals, uh, Kyler Murray throws four touchdowns. I think the Cardinals are – Looking like a, a a contender, I think at this point, obviously six and zero. But I mean, the Browns, I think right now they're kind. Of, they might be in a little bit of trouble. Uh, they have so many injuries. Like literally every guy you can name is injured. Obviously Baker Mayfield, Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb. I know Jedrick Wills is hurt. 
So I think for the Browns right now at, at three and three, there there's still eleven more games left. But I mean, they just got to get healthy. And then this week, when they uh when they take on the Broncos, Broncos are a team who also who's lost three in a row. I think just got to grind out a win. Obviously, not at full strength, near not even close to it. I think you just got to grind out a win and just um. Just build your get your wins back up and just fight from there. Cause I think the Browns, I, I think when healthy, I think Baker Mayfield is uh is good enough to. I think he's he's a solid starting quarterback in this league. So I think the Browns definitely. I mean Nick Chubb gets back. Uh, that running game and Kareem Hunt. Hopefully he's back soon. That running game will be a lot better. So I think this Browns team, right now three and three, uh could definitely needs to just get healthy and I think they'll be fine. Yeah, obviously health, I think, is uh, a big factor. Obviously, getting all those guys back with Baker and no Chubb and stuff like that. I'm not going to say Kareem Hunt wasn't effective, too, but it didn't help that they went down 20 nothing early in this game. Kind of phases out the run game early and stuff like that. So, Baker, it's definitely a big year for him, obviously, with his extension maybe in the future or maybe not. So, he's got he's got a paycheck to earn there. Not sure exactly. It probably won't be out too, too long. I think really it's only going to be like a one-week thing. He's probably going to have to play through a little bit of pain and stuff like that. But it is his non-throwing shoulder. So you hope for the best in that. And I'm sure Browns fans as well hope that they get Baker Mayfield back on the field. But they do play Thursday night this week. So that is a quick turnaround for him. So I'm, I'm sure that's why he was ruled out early in this game. But, Cora, with all that being said, in the AFC last week, we both agreed on that the Bills were the team to beat in the AFC. Do you still stand by that or are you hopping off the ship? No, nah, I'm still standing by that off one week. I think the Bills currently are the team to beat. And, I mean, my rankings are still the same. I, I have, I think it's the Bills, Ra- Ravens, Chargers. And then after that, I'll go, like, Chiefs, Titans. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think the Bills are still the team to beat in the AFC. Yeah, I agree with that. I wasn't going to change on mine as well. Uh, I will modify yours. I do would slot now the Chiefs above the Chargers. I know the Chargers beat the Chiefs in the regular season, but the Chiefs, although they did kind of struggle in the first half against Washington, I feel like, you know what I mean? I, I, I just don't like what the Chargers did and how they um like really just got embarrassed, if you ask me. But besides the point, we'll move on to um our next part. We'll, we'll start with, I guess, two, two NFC teams, if you ask me. Two teams that actually won an overtime this past week in the NFC. We'll start first with the Vikings over the Carolina Panthers. This game was in Carolina and stuff like that. Carolina has a late score. Uh, Sam Darnold throws it to Robbie Anderson for a late touchdown with like under a minute to go. The Vikings in overtime scored a ton of KJ Osborne wins the game for them. This Vikings team, you know what I mean? They're a lot better than their record shows. Uh, but again, they almost found themselves losing a game where they definitely should have won in sense like that. If you're going to be a playoff team, you got to put these teams away. Three and three the Vikings are. But like I said, there's a lot of games on their schedule, if you ask me, that should have went the other way. So uh, they go into their bye week this week, and hopefully they can uh, get right and um, you know look forward to the second half of their season. They finally got Dalvin Cook healthy and running better again. So hopefully that's something they can build on when they come off the bye. Yeah, obviously the uh, Panthers don't have Christian McCaffrey, but I mean the Vikings pretty much dominated this game. 571 total yards to 306, and outgained them in the passing and rushing department. I mean, I mean a win is a win, but I just think this Vikings team—I don't know what it is—but like they they won the game obviously at three and three, but I think by the end of the year, like 17 games, like this team is talented enough to win. I'd say at least seven, I mean, 11 games, but I don't think they're going to get that. I don't know what it is. They just, they lose a lot of tough games and they're in a lot of close games that like shouldn't be. 
I mean, Sam Darnold, 17 for 41. Like, every time I saw he was like, what, like 5 for 17? He's obviously, um, after the first three, after the, obviously the first four games, like the last two games, he has not looked good at all. Obviously, Chuba Hubbard did pretty well. Dalvin Cook, uh, 29 carries, finally um, looking like last year's Dalvin Cook. But, yeah, I think out of these two teams, obviously the better team won. And, I don't know, I, I just hope that the Vikings are able to to live up to their potential because I think, obviously, they're not – I don't think they're in the top tier, obviously, with, like, the Bucks and the Rams. But I think this, this, this Vikings team definitely should be a playoff team. So, I hope by the end of the year they're able to just win games that, that – they're capable of winning because I think this is a playoff team. I agree with that. I think that the Vikings give a lot of people trouble too in the playoffs because of how like well-rounded they are. They're not particularly like weak on the defensive side of the offensive side of the ball. They run the ball well. They throw the ball well. So I think it's a very balanced team and stuff like that. They give a team at the top of the NFC some trouble come January. But yeah, turning on to the Panthers side of things, I mean, Sam Darnold looks like a completely different quarterback with, with Christian McCaffrey and without Christian McCaffrey. Obviously, they have a big decision to make what they're going to go with at the, as um, the quarterback of their future. I think Darnold, like you said, early on in the year, you're thinking, all right, maybe Darnold is the guy. Now, definitely, you have some questions, and um, they're going to have to reevaluate the position. I think, obviously, Darnold will have, of course, this year to deem if he's worthy enough for that spot. But right now, I think that the Panthers are not closer to making that conclusion from week one to week seven or yeah, from week one to after week six from what they've seen so far, because it's just been a lot of the same stuff with the Jets. You get a couple good, a couple bad. Wow. I don't think he ever played as good as he was playing in the beginning uh, of the Panthers thing with the Jets. I mean, he's right back to it right now without Christian McCaffrey. So a big, big decision for Carolina to make. Yeah, for sure. I think the thing about St. Donald, like you said, it's kind of been consistency, obviously, when he was with the Jets. Like, let's just be honest, like, not many quarterbacks these days, really. Even Zach Wilson, like, he's struggling. Like, it's it's not that easy to just go out on the Jets and throw for 350 and have four touchdowns. Like, it's just a tough offense. Their line's pretty bad. But I think people realize that, and this is obviously a former third pick in the, uh, was it, like, 2018 draft, I think. Him going to Carolina was kind of like just a new start. And I think a lot, he honestly had some some solid expectations. I think a lot of people were necess- like kind of giving him not a bye, but just like, yeah, he's with the Jets. Let's see what he could do on like a better team in Matt Rule's offense. And obviously he started off really good leading this Carolina team to 3-0. And since then, it's kind of been a little downhill. I think people are starting to maybe – like question Sam Darnold a little bit, but I just think, yeah, obviously the talent's there. The consistency is the thing that has has been an issue. And I just think the, if, if Sam, Sam Darnold just gotta, just, I don't know, just, he's gotta be able to pick it up and get back to what he's doing early in the year. That's pretty simply explained, but yeah, if he wants to to keep this job in Carolina and be a franchise quarterback, obviously that's just what what he's got to do. Yeah, they got a big game this week against the Giants, the game that could get them right, you know what I mean? And if they lose that game, it's almost like, all right, maybe this Panthers team that we've seen the last couple weeks is more 
likely that team and the first couple of weeks was kind of a fluke, but we'll have to wait and see for that game. Uh, moving on to another NFC team that I mentioned that did win in overtime this past week, the Dallas Cowboys improved to five and one with an overtime victory over the New England Patriots, a real good game, obviously. You had that back and forth in the fourth quarter where Diggs gets the pick six, and then the first play on the next drive, Mac Jones throws a 75-yard touchdown to Kendrick Bourne. Zerline hits a late field goal, and then in overtime, the New, Eng- New England punts the ball back to Dallas, and then Dallas scores a touchdown. I mean, realistically, they were in field goal range anyway, probably going to win the game, but Dak throws a touchdown to C.D. Lamb. Dak did um hurt his calf, he said, a little bit on that. So good thing that the Cowboys have a bye this week for them because Dak maybe would be um questionable, I should say, at least, but hopefully he should be better with the week off. But, yeah, I just think this further proves that the Cowboys, you know what I mean, they're a different team, and as much as I hate to say it, like they are a contender in the NFC. I don't think they're the Rams. I don't think they're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, but I think they're right under them. I really think that uh, you could argue that. I mean, the car. I think like honestly, a better discussion would be like between the Cowboys, the Cardinals, and the Packers. Like, who are the like? Would you take like which one are you taking there? I don't think I'd take the Cowboys, but I think it's fair to argue them because they have looked good for the first six weeks of the season. Yeah, for sure. I think the Cowboys. I think this is kind of. Um, I think they've kind of established themselves as different from from previous years. I think the Cowboys. Like, after week one, they played a close game against the Bucs. Uh, obviously, they lost, which that's what I think. Like, the Cowboys, a lot of times, play solid games and then lose a lot of close games, I feel like, against good teams. I mean, uh, New England, obviously, two and four right now. Probably, like, a mediocre team at best currently. But, I mean, I feel like this is a game that in Foxborough, this is like a game that the Cowboys usually don't come away with the win in. But in this one, obviously, they battled the Trayvon Diggs pick six. And then Kendrick Bourne's 75-yard touchdown. And then Dak Prescott drives him down the field for his Erline 49-yard field goal. Yeah, I mean, I think this Cowboys team is definitely different, I think. For, the, for them to win this game was big on the road, heading into a bye at 5-1. and one. And, yeah, I think you can't even argue. I think right now you got to put the Cowboys at uh, – as a contender in the NFC, obviously they gave up 29 points, but this defense under Dan Quinn has looked like miles better from last year. So yeah, I think for sure Cowboys are, um, are for real this year. I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of that at all in any way, shape, or form. But, yeah, you're right. They got their defense back. They started to run the ball a lot better this year, starting to ask Dak to do a little less because, I mean, it's irrational to ask Dak to throw the ball 50 times every game and expect to win. But this Patriots team, if you want to ask me, they just lack, like, explosiveness on offense. They don't really have a dynamic playmaker at all. Mac Jones, he hasn't, like, completely wow. I mean, he's good. Don't get me wrong. You know what I mean? He's kept the Patriots in close games and stuff like that. He makes, like, the throws where he needs him to be. But he's, he's what he is. You know what I mean? There was – limits maybe on Mac Jones' ceiling when it comes to like extending plays and stuff like that and like really creating stuff that's not Mac Jones' game and I'm not what's like gonna slander him for it, but the Patriots just really don't have like an A-level talent on the offensive side of the ball if you ask me particularly in their skill group and stuff like that. I know Damien Harris ran the ball well. Uh Jacoby Myers again good receiver and stuff like that serviceable Hunter Henry as well good tight end but again there's just none of those like Pro Bowl level guys that they have so it kind of like puts them on April. I mean 29 points if probably close to their season high if you ask me uh, off the top of my head i believe it is their season high so yeah kind of tough to lose a game like that but it is what it is and like i said from the cowboys standpoint they go into a bye hopefully they can get right and healthy and they actually play the vikings who we just mentioned so i think that would be a good game kind of to test out 
where both of these teams are in relation to each other. I know the Vikings uh, lower than them in the standings, but I think the Vikings could definitely give them a real good game. Uh, moving on over to the AFC side of things, Core, uh, another overtime game. The Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Seahawks 23-20 thanks to TJ Watt reminding everybody why he's one of the best players in the National Football League. He had that strip sack, or I should say really a forced fumble because Geno was getting ready to run on that play when um, – he tucks it under and Watt comes over, clubs that ball right out from him. Uh, Boswell hits a game-winning field goal. The Steelers improved to three and three. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean? It was another close primetime game. What, what else could you expect from this uh, 2021 season? It just seems like every single one is close. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, – I was thinking for sure this this under was going to be the lock for, uh, for like that whole first half, obviously, ends in a push. But – I'm going to go with the Seattle first on this. I think obviously they lost the game. Obviously they're currently two and four, but I just, I kind of was impressed that they, they kind of battled back. I'm not saying the Steelers are like an elite team, but in on the road for, down 14, nothing with a backup quarterback, Seattle could have just like packed it in, but Geno Smith, obviously they battled back. Alex Collins looked really good on the ground. Their defense was able to get some uh, stops against this kind of weak, offense of the um of the Steelers but yeah I mean they battled back obviously never led in this game but went went into the half down 14 nothing scored first drive out of the second back-to-back touchdowns actually and yeah I was impressed by them to battle back obviously they lost the game and I think the Steelers here obviously gets a three and three I think this is a game like the Steelers circle on their calendar seeing a backup quarterback Geno Smith at two and three like they had to have it obviously it came down to the wire. TJ Watt with that great play, showing why he's the best player in that defense and probably the best player, one of the best defensive players in the whole NFL. Just, um, yeah, I think this is a game they really needed. And obviously they got it. Didn't matter how they got it. Three and three puts you right in the right in the mix of things in um, in the playoff picture, obviously, this early. So, yeah, that's just my outlook on the game. But, yeah, I was impressed by um, Pete Carroll and Seattle's even though they lost, like their ability to uh, to battle back. I'm glad you mentioned that, Corey, because I was also going to bring that up about the fact that, yeah, they went down 14 nothing in this game. And again, they could have rolled over and just said, all right, we'll see you next week. You know what I mean? Gino just not going to do it today. They did look like, I mean, Gino looked good, if you ask me, coming into relief against the Rams, but against the Steelers, never really looked comfortable and stuff like that, really under a lot of pressure and stuff. And you know what I mean? He's a backup quarterback. What do you expect? But yeah, coming out of halftime, they really got the run game going. I know Alex Collins ran the ball well when they on both of those touchdown drives. He got a little banged up, hopefully for their sake. He's ready for Monday night football. But yeah, from the Steelers' side of things, you know what I mean? A game, again, that they had to have back-to-back weeks. They kind of get up early and then, you know what I mean? Kind of avoid, avoid an upset late. And even with that Broncos game, they gave up a couple late touchdowns in that game, but we were able to pull it out. They going to buy this week hopefully they can get right because that afc north looks real competitive with the browns and then of course the Bengals and the ravens uh above them uh they both play each other this week so we'll have to wait and see how that sorts itself out but core that's going to bring us to stock up stock down uh i'll start it off with the ups i think the ups is kind of easy this week um when, when, when you get when you get down to the nitty-gritty of things core i'm going with 2015 to 2016 pro bowl running backs as stock up because there's still hope for these guys after what we saw i mean devonta freeman latavius murray and Le'Veon bell all get in the end zone in the year 2021 it's crazy people can say oh running backs they got short primes running backs this. you could say that those three guys are washed they are probably are pretty washed but it doesn't matter they're still scoring touchdowns for the baltimore ravens for a team that's 
five and one in the AFC and on top of that conference. So it don't matter. It, listen, if you're a Pro Bowl running back from 2013, Arian Foster, Carl, Chris Johnson will even go back a little more. You know what I mean? Give the Ravens a call. Maybe they need it. Maybe they need another back. You get get yourself another touchdown on that career resume. So uh, yeah, I'm going with old Pro Bowl running backs uh, as a stock up because of uh, what they did this past week. Yeah, I mean, no J.K. Dobbins, no Gus Edwards. Why does it, it doesn't matter? You could just call on. You just give Devontae Freeman a call, and he's uh and he's turning back the clocks to to his Atlanta Falcons days. And Latavius Murray also looking uh looking really good. Le'Veon Bell, rocking number seventeen. He kind of looks like a wide receiver out there. I'm not even gonna lie, but yeah, I mean, all three of these guys find the end zone, and yeah, life is good for these guys. Five and one with the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, life's good when you're playing with Lamar Jackson. So, yeah, definitely stock up for these guys. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Le'Veon Bell wearing number 17. That is disgusting, okay? There's just no other way to it. If you're, if you're a running back, if you ask me, you cannot have, a like, a 10 to 19's number. You, you just cannot have a team's number. There's no no way. It looks horrible if you – like, you could be a single digit. James Conner wearing number 6. I don't like number 6 on a running back, but I can live with that. I can't live with number 17 on Le'Veon Bell. It just it, – it looks ugly. You're right. He's a receiver. He looks like a slot receiver that's put in the backfield, but – Besides the point, I guess I'll get over it, right? I don't have to worry about watching Baltimore Ravens games for the next uh, – I'll watch them here and there. I don't have to watch them in completion is what I meant. But, uh, yeah, maybe Frank Gore gives the Ravens a call too. I mean, I feel bad for Frank Gore all these years. You know what I mean? He's been grinding it out on the poor Jets last year. Now all all of a sudden, old running backs are new are the new thing, and Gore nowhere to be found. So somebody give Frank Gore a call. Tell him the Ravens need a back. But stock down core this week. I'm going to start it off with risk-taking. Um, the Chargers, we mentioned how good they were on fourth down and how so aggressive they've been in the past couple of weeks. It, it looks good when you get it. It doesn't look good when you don't get it. I mean, they went for it twice when really like the game was in hand. I know they missed another conversion late in that game when they were down big. But um, twice, yeah, they go they went for it on like their own 20. They went for it on their own like 35 and they missed. You, know I mean? you just give your team too short of a field. Like your defense is left out to dry there, uh, especially with a – Baltimore Ravens offense that's so explosive with Lamar Jackson, obviously one of the most dynamic playmakers in the league. It's already hard enough test to stop the guy from scoring, uh, starting on his own 25, but you start him on the plus 25. I mean, what what do you want him to do? So it looks, like I said, it looks bad when you don't get it. Everybody could laud about Brandon Staley being so aggressive. And I like Staley being aggressive, but sometimes when you don't get it, you set yourself up to be exposed and kind of have an ugly result on the scoreboard like the Chargers did today, this week. Not yet. I think there's a difference. I like when Brandon Staley goes for it, but when this guy's going for it on his own 19-yard line, like I think that's kind of uh, kind of excessive. I mean, I think they were at their what 39. Also, it was like fourth and three, and they didn't get it. Like these are just you're you're literally giving the the Ravens the ball in the red zone for getting a stop when like. Nah, obviously I like when he goes for it, and I like the aggressiveness, but I'm thinking that more when you're, like, in Ravens territory, maybe near midfield type, maybe in, like, your own 40s, and it's, like, fourth and one. But, like, fourth and fourth and one at your own 19? Like, I don't know. I just think that's a little excessive. I don't know. Brandon's, I hope. I don't know if he's going to keep continue to do that. I hope he continues to take risks, but I think when you're in your own inside your own 20, like you just gotta, you just gotta punt it away. I mean, it's just when the game's still in reach. I think that's just tough to give the ball to the Ravens in the red zone like that. So, I definitely say, 
this week, obviously, risk taking has worked out in the past, but this week definitely, uh, definitely stocked down for for that. I don't want to just throw Staley under the bus too, because I thought Sean McDermott, if you ask me, also contributed to me saying this. Whereas I, I'm not saying too, I disagree with this. I love to be aggressive and stuff like that, but I also agree with the Bills decision to go for it on fourth down whereas even if you kick the field goal you go to overtime because if the bills get that first down on that fourth and one with josh allen who's obviously you put your put the ball in the hands of your best player allen's their best player you know what i mean he didn't get it oh well but i mean if they get that first down there's no doubt in my mind they win the game in regulation whereas if they kick the field goal in overtime you can take a true 50 50 shot on who wins the game so i think for there you can go corner you want to get technical you're go with your quote-unquote win probability i think it was their win probability was higher by going for it there and then taking the field goal so i don't completely hate it but you know what i mean again it's a tough look when you think when you look back at it and you're like well you could have just tied the game and went to overtime but it is what it is right that's why you don't like he, that's why you don't manage games the day after you got to live it in the moment stuff but another stock down core chicago bears fans i mean aaron Rodgers runs into the end zone they weren't too happy with it and aaron Rodgers is telling them I own you. I love it from Aaron Rodgers. You know what I mean? I mean, he. I think he's probably – his record against the Bears, I saw it. I, I don't know why I didn't write it down, but it's unbelievable and stuff like that. Even for the past decade, just tormenting that poor fan base. I know Tom Brady was joking about it the other day. He's like, yeah, congrats to Aaron Rodgers. I heard he's an owner now of, like, Soldier Field. So, uh, yeah, Chicago Bears fans, you get a tough loss against a division opponent, and then you kind of get um put to bed by uh, one of the best quarterbacks in our game. Yeah, I mean, obviously Aaron Rodgers going into the end zone was all over social media saying he owns uh he's uh, he owns the Bears and obviously honestly it is kind of true. I don't remember the last time the Bears uh beat I don't even know the last time the Bears beat the uh the Packers. It probably was like 2 3 years ago, honestly. I just like I'm not I don't really know, but yeah, I mean, Bears fans it's kind of been rough over the last few years. Having a double doink from from Cody Parking in the playoffs when your team is twelve and four. And besides that, just getting owned by Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. So, Brian Rodgers, just say it to you guys as you guys are losing the game. Definitely, uh, definitely tough and definitely stocked down. Yeah, twenty three and five Rodgers now is against the Chicago Bears in his career. So, um, I, unbelievable. I mean, you know, what I mean, was he wrong? Absolutely not is what the conclusion comes to that. So good for the bad man and Aaron Rodgers, who seems to have the Green Bay Packers rolling on all cylinders. But core, that's going to bring us into our game picks. We're going to switch it up a little bit this week. We're going to spotlight a couple games, talk about them like we normally do. And then we're just going to give you guys uh, our opinions on what we think are gonna, is going to happen in the rest of the game. Just I'll uh, give you guys the picks on stuff like that. So we selected a couple of these core. I guess I'll, I'll I'm going to start with the Thursday night game because I think this is an interesting one between the Broncos and the Browns, two teams that are coming off losses, two teams that are a little banged up, more so the Browns and the Broncos, Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, he's going to go, but, they, you know what I mean? They said he was limping after, um, I guess, press conference or something like something like that. But the Browns, like I said, they're, they're on the offensive side of the ball, no Baker, no Nick Chubb, no Kareem Hunt, OBJ's questionable, Jedrick Wills and Jack Conklin, their tackles questionable, their center, J.C. Treader, questionable. So, it, it, they're kind of a mess right now. I think it's almost too much to overcome. As, as I think the Broncos, like, I'm honestly happy that the Broncos finally, like, the people are starting to see, like, the deficiencies with the team and stuff like that. After they were 3-0, people were already, like, all over social media and being like, oh, Teddy Bridgewater's got the Broncos being a true playoff contender and really being a contender in the AFC. I was like, 
they literally played the Jets, the Giants, and the Jaguars. Their teams have a combined um, three wins. Like, you didn't really beat anybody. Congrats. You know what I mean? It'd be a glorified schedule. But as much as I say that, I'm going to take the Broncos here to win the game. I just think it's too much to overcome. Case Keenum, I'd love to back you in technically a revenge game because Case Keenum had a brief stint in Denver. But I'm going to go with the Broncos here uh, to win the game because I just, like I said, I think it's too much for the Browns to overcome. And their defense, also a side of the ball that's been injured, um, hasn't been great this year. So, Yeah, I mean, this is a very interesting matchup right now. I mean, I think, I don't know how points are even going to be scored in this game, but obviously... They're going to be uh, – the over-under is only 41. I would never take the under. I think that's just too low. But, yeah, I think it's just a weird line. It's Browns minus one and a half. I think this is a t- – I think this is going to be an interesting matchup. But I just think the, the the Broncos have looked so bad over the last three weeks. Obviously, uh, I think Drew Locke's throwing a little Teddy Bridgewater also. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater has done a good job. But I'm going to go – with the home team in this one, I'm going to take the Browns still. Despite all the injuries, I think they somehow find a way to get it done. I think Case Keenum's a very serviceable backup. I think he comes in. I'm not saying this guy's going to chuck. He's going to, I'm not saying he's going to be slinging 60-yard bombs to Donovan Peoples-Jones and have 400 yards. But I think, I think Case Keenum, this guy's been on the Vikings. He's been in playoff games before. I think he finds a way to get a win here, and I think the Browns cover. Yeah, listen, I think Keenum is serviceable enough. I just think that it might be too much with everything around him that's yeah. missing. But I guess I guess we're going to have to wait and see. You know what I mean? I, listen, since this game's on Thursday night, it's going to be a very close game. So that's the best part about it. But moving on, core, I guess we'll go with – we're going to go with the AFC, a couple AFC battles here. We're going to start first with the battle of the AFC North, the Ravens and the Bengals. The Ravens are the home team here, uh, the six-and-a-half-point favorites. Not surprising if you ask me. I think that the Ravens are rolling on all cylinders as well as the Bengals. The Bengals just had a nice win on the road against the Detroit Lions. But I'm going with the Ravens here. I think the Bengals, they competed well against the Green Bay Packers. Obviously, they beat Minnesota early in the year, but I'm still not sold on them. Just still not sold on them as simple as that. I think the Ravens, the way that they look last week, too, on the defensive side of the ball, I think they have the potential to give Joe Burrow a lot of fits. And I'll go with the Ravens here, picking up another quality win against the team with a, that's been playing some good football so far. So I'll lean with the Ravens six and a half here at home. Yeah, I'm not really, like, completely sold on, on the Bengals, at, at, at obviously, at four and two. But I am kind of... Kind of obviously seeing improvement. Obviously, they have four wins right now, but I think this um obviously strides being made. I think they'll be they could possibly make it to the playoffs. I think they'll be there. I mean, Joe Burrow, fourteen touchdowns right now, but I don't know. I'm kind of I I kind of expect the Ravens' defense to to show up again and get to get definitely get to Joe Burrow and. I don't know. I mean, this week I got I got Keenan Allen, Stephon Diggs on buys. I'm starting Jamar Chase, my wide receiver one. I'm kind of kind of nervous. I don't know how well he's gonna do with this in in Baltimore with the, their defense. So I'm gonna take Baltimore minus six and a half. I think it's always safe to take bet with Lamar Jackson. I think at home, I think the Ravens in the AFC North battle. I think they get the win here and uh, cover six and a half. I think it might be a little tough. On um on the Bengals offense, but if the Bengals do win this game, I think uh I think we definitely gotta start opening our eyes and see if the Bengals might be might be coming. But yeah, I, I'll take the I'll take the Ravens in this one minus six and a half. Yeah, listen, the Bengals win this game. 
next week I'll come on, I'll say, I'll hand up. I was wrong, for sure, on the Bengals. You know what I mean? I'll admit it. And uh, we'll, we'll have to talk about them of being a true playoff team in the AFC. I don't think they'll win the division. Even if they win this game, I don't think they're going to win the division. But I'll give you true playoff team if they can win this game. Moving on, core to another great AFC matchup. The Chiefs, five and a half, five and a half point favorites against the Titans in Tennessee. The Titans are a team historically over the past couple of years that have played the Chiefs real well. Obviously, in the playoffs a couple of years ago, they blew that lead. They beat them also in that year in the regular season. They play quality opponents good, the Titans. I don't know what it is. Obviously, we just saw it last week with the builds and stuff like that. The Titans all year have really been like uh, – pretty middle of the pack and then they go and go toe-to-toe with the Bills come back late in that game so I'm gonna go with the Titans to keep it close so I'll take the Titans with the number I ultimately think the Chiefs win this game I think again they're just it's the Chiefs man I'm still like infatuated with all the talent that they have on the opposite side of the ball especially Patrick Mahomes I'm still buying into the hype that they're a top two top three team in the AFC you know what I mean even though sometimes that's not what we see from this team hopefully they can get right in this situation obviously they got going late last week against Washington so yeah I think the Chiefs to win but I will take the Titans to cover I think that Derrick Henry can give this defense fits and if Ryan Tannehill plays more like he did in the second half uh, it's gonna be a real good game in the uh in this one yeah I mean I think this is gonna be a close game I'm gonna take Titans plus five and a half or yeah plus five and a half I think this is over-under. It's 57 and a half. I think it's really high. Like, I'd still lean the over in this game. I think um, – I just I, – I, I can't see the Titans, like, stopping the Chiefs' offense. But I think the I think the Titans will be able to score on the on the Chiefs. I expect a high-scoring affair here. I think the Chiefs win by a field goal. So, yeah, I think the Titans cover the spread. But I think at the end, the Chiefs pull out a win here. All right, moving on to the final – uh, of the four games that we'll discuss a little bit more at length. The Colts play the 49ers. 49ers coming off a bye. The Colts coming off a nice win against the Houston Texans to make, to improve them to two and four. Both of these teams have two wins. I think at week seven, if we said preseason that both these teams would only have two wins, you'd be a little upset. You know what I mean? I've picked both these teams to be in the playoffs. I think this is a good team. I think, I, I think this is a good game. I think both these teams are built uh, pretty similarly. I think Jimmy Garoppolo coming back for the 49ers is big. I mean, he's quite, but he's, he's going to go because Trey Lance not even more banged up than him. As good as the Colts have looked the best, like that week on the Monday night football game for the three and a half quarters. And then obviously they've looked good against the Texans. I'm going to start with the 49ers minus four here. I think them coming off a of bar college and that's big for them. Obviously Debo Samuels had such a big year. They don't have George Kittle, but I think Brandon Ayuk gets more phased into this offense. Uh, first round pick out of Arizona state last year, had a real quiet start to the year. It's almost like, he kind of has to, you know what I mean? They they don't like aside from Debo Samuel, like I said, with no Kittle, you got another playmaker's got to step up. Hopefully it's Ayuk. I know Elijah Mitchell uh, back from injury. We in week six he was back, so hopefully he gets going more in the ground game because that San Francisco run game can really um, run all over any defense in the league. So you know what I mean? The Colts definitely have a tough task there. So if they're able to be physical, the Colts, I'm sure that they can make this a real close game. I know the Force Buckner would want anything to uh, win this game, the DeForest Buckner revenge game, we might have to call it if the Colts end up winning. But um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with the 49ers here. And of course, what should be a close game because it's on Sunday Night Football. Yeah, I mean, I think the Colts come off a tough, they, they had a really, really tough loss to the to the Baltimore Ravens. Easily should have won that game and then dominated the, uh, the Texans. I think in this one on Sunday Night Football going into San Francisco, I like the Colts plus four here and the Colts to win the game, I think. They're they're kind of upping it up a notch. I think Carson Wentz 
has – I mean, he's only he's only had one interception. So, like, he's not throwing interceptions this year. And he's – I don't know. He, he's playing – I think he's playing pretty well in Indianapolis. And, I don't know, the 49ers have dropped three straight. Obviously, they just had a bye. Kyle Shanahan's a really good coach. But, I don't know, just something about this game, I think – I think the Colts are able to come into San Francisco and come out with a win. And, uh, yeah, I like the Colts to win this game. All right, Corey. I guess we're going to have to wait and see how that one plays out. I like how we're going a little head-to-head action in that. But, yeah, we'll, we'll give you guys our picks as well for the rest. But, like I said, we're not really going to get too, too into them. I know a couple of these games this week, there are just some huge spreads on. I guess I'll start first with my picks. We'll bring on to court after. Panthers, three-point underdogs uh, at the Giants. I'm going to go with the Giants plus three, the Giants to win the game. Packers against Washington. I'm going to go with Washington plus eight and a half, but the Packers to win the game. Uh, The Dolphins plus two and a half and Dolphins money line over the Falcons. I think that's a get right spot for them. I'll take the Patriots minus seven over the Jets. Sorry, Corey. I don't think your Jets really give too much of a fight even coming off a bye. I think that the Patriots, um, they lost it to that tough game. Eagles. Uh, plus three traveling to Vegas. I liked what the Raiders did under their new head coach. They started to run the ball a lot more. They really uh, beat down the Broncos last week. So I'll take the Raiders minus three here. I'll take the Rams minus 15 in Stafford's revenge game against the Lions. I'll take the Texans plus 17 and a half against the Cardinals. Cardinals ultimately to win the game though. Um, 17 and a half is too huge of a number. I think the Cardinals maybe a little bit um, get off a little slow and who knows if even Kingsbury will be back this week. I think the bears plus 12 and a half, but the Buccaneers to win the game, same reasoning in a sense that I think the bears are just are good enough to at least keep that close to uh, attempt to run the ball on that Buccaneers defense, which has been so good this year. And then finally on Monday night football, I'll take the Seahawks plus five, but the saints to win the game because it is a primetime game court and they have to be one possession according to 2021. So that's my reasoning there. Uh, floor's yours. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the Giants' uh, first game. I'm going to take mm-hmm. them plus three and to win the game outright. I think they'll just win the game. And then next game, I like the Packers. Minus eight and a half over the uh, Washington football team. Uh, next game, I like I like the Dolphins plus two and a half and to win the game here against uh, Atlanta, even though it kind of sounds a little bit like a trap. Um, Jets, Patriots, pay. I'm not as biased as you. Obviously, you always take Giants. I'm kind of just going to take the Patriots minus seven in, the, in this one. Hopefully the Jets prove me wrong as I am a Jets fan. Next one, I don't know. I think this is kind of a low line also. I don't know if Vegas loves the Eagles, but I'm going to take the Raiders minus three. I think they get the job done here. Uh, line, yo, you saying Matthew Stafford revenge game? It's the Jared Goff revenge game. I'll take nah, – they're not going to win the game, but Jared Goff comes out uh, a, little, a little competitive. I think the Lions out here covered plus 15 the Rams obviously win Texans Cardinals I think the Texans are just are anti I mean you just got to fade them right now so I'll take the Cardinals minus 17 and a half at home Bears Buccaneers I mean I, I think Justin Fields has not really done well obviously he's not in a great position to succeed but he really hasn't done that well so I'll take Tom Brady and the Bucks minus 12 and a half and then the last game for um is that Monday night I'll take I'll take the seat. No, I'll take the yeah Seahawks plus five, but obviously Saints. I think they'll win the game here. Like you said, Monday Night Football. It's always got to be a close game. So yeah, I'll take Seahawks plus five, Saints to win the game. And yeah, those are my picks for uh, Week Seven. Yeah, Court. Quick, quick summary off that. Quick feedback. All right, so the Giants and the Dolphins. Of course, we both we we liked a lot of the like Giants, Dolphins. I'm saying both underdogs that we both like. So of course, 
now you, you we just you ruined my Giants. Thanks. I mean, I, I contributed too, so I'm not going to throw you completely under the bus, stuff like that. But yeah, I, I think we're on the same page and stuff like that. You do mention it, it kind of really is more of the Jared Goff revenge game. You know what I mean? It, it was it was a nice breakup between the uh, between Matthew Stafford and the Lions. Not so much with the Rams and Jared Goff. So, I mean, if somebody wants revenge in this game, it would be Jared Goff. So I, I like that quote. You know what I mean? I, I, I knew it was the Jared Goff revenge game. I, I don't want to say that. Though, you know what I mean? Then it, then, then it puts it into the universe and stuff like that. Then it's like... Um, I'm doomed if I take the Rams there. So uh, moving on, though, uh, to our NCAA portion of the show. Uh, kind of a quiet week, you could say, in college football from the sense compared to the week before. But again, that week was so crazy that would, would, would you want to top it? It's just almost impossible to do that every single week. Core, I'll start first down in Louisiana where LSU upsets Florida thanks to Tyron Davis-Price, the running back there. I'm watching this game. He was running all over Florida's de- Florida's defensive coordinator should have been left at LSU after that game because they just got, I, I don't think Max, John- Max, John- Max Johnson had to throw the ball in the second half. Davis price was unbelievable on the ground. 287 yards broke Leonard Fournette's single game rushing record there. Not surprised and stuff like that, but an ugly loss in a sense for Florida. And not that LSU is like that bad of an opponent, but the fact that it would have set them up for a nice game against Georgia, potentially to, uh, Get out of the SEC East with really only that one loss to Kentucky, but now with another loss to LSU, that Georgia game, it kind of loses some of its aura. So, uh, yeah, an, an ugly finish right there for Florida and stuff like that. But uh, good for LSU to get that win, at least, and ride on the back of Davis Price. Yeah, I mean, this is a game I wasn't really able to watch, but obviously I was checking my phone. Obviously, a crazy back-and-forth game in this one. That seems like... It's just normal for us to have these type of games here in the SEC, the best conference in uh, in college football. Obviously, Anthony Richardson, the freshman, looked uh, pretty dynamic for the Gators. But yeah, Davis Price for for LSU. If you're if you're breaking Leonard Fournette, like everyone knows how good Leonard Fournette was at LSU, you're breaking Leonard Fournette rushing records at in a game. Obviously, uh, you balled out and. Yeah, Max Johnson only threw for 133 yards at three touchdowns. But, I mean, yeah, Davis Price just said, get on my back. I, I'm, I'm like, I feel like Derrick Henry. No, I feel like Leonard Fournette right now. So, yeah, I mean, they get the win here. And in the SEC, it's proven like, like yeah, like there's just a ton of close games. And all these teams are are capable of beating them. I mean, obviously, Bama. Obviously, Bama lost. I mean, like, Georgia, obviously, at the top. But... Yeah, I mean, this is just a deep conference, and anyone can win on any given day. I'm not saying that LSU were big. Were they even on? They were probably like slight underdogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, just like any any given day, anyone anyone can win, and that that was proven here. Yeah, and like you said, you mentioned being in the company of Leonard Fournette and a record at LSU is huge. So hats off to Tyrion David Price for his performance. But one thing I will mention about Florida, uh, obviously the quarterback position has been. A little bit up in the air this year. Emory Jones and the guy with Anthony Richardson behind him. They did end up going to Richardson in this game when they got down. And Richardson brought them all the way back. He threw a bad interception uh, towards the end of the game. But, I mean, the talent is so, like, clear for this guy. He, I'm telling you, next year, he might – my bold take is that he's going to win. I mean, it's not even bold. He's going to win the Heisman next year because this kid is unbelievable. The arm on him, and he's 6'4", 240. He can run over anybody, and he's – 
just as quick too. Like he, he's not losing a step for how big of a guy he is. So I think Richardson has a complete, like his future, the upside on him is enormous and stuff like that. I hope they go to him at the end of this year. So he can get a little bit more run and stuff like that, a little bit more experience. So that come 2022, he's ready to hit the ground running and really bring Florida back to like the, the top of the college football world. But this wasn't the biggest news core as crazy as it, as it is coming from LSU this week. Uh, it was announced that Ed Orgeron would move on from LSU and then the, the two would part ways. I'm not too, too surprised, honestly. I think LSU, uh, obviously they've been, they've been good over good under Eddie Yale, but I think like winning that national championship, obviously they go win 15 and on that historic season. They had such a good roster though. Like, I don't want to say like it was an outlier. Like, you know what I mean? I think maybe that led to his demise in a sense that expectations got a little bit too high, like last year and even to the start of this year. You know what I mean? Obviously, LSU is one of the best programs in all of college football. You know what I mean? They're a premier program and stuff like that. But I don't know. It's just like kind of the way I feel. I know Eddie O, I'm not going to say he was like necessarily like a great coach, but um I think the coordinators helped huge that year that they were uh, 15-0. and They had Joe Brady on the offense side of the ball, obviously moved on to Carolina. And then uh, Dave Armada, I think, is the guy. He, besides when he was the defensive coordinator, he moved on to Baylor to go be their head coach. So, I mean, when you have those two coordinators and stuff like that, obviously you as a head coach, you kind of get uh, covered up a little bit. So I don't completely – like, I don't blame LSU for moving on here. I think, obviously, he was a big figure in the community and stuff like that around the team and stuff. So I, I think it's going to be tough for Coach O, but uh, hopefully he lands on his feet and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, I ultimately kind of do think it was the right move. Yeah, I mean, Coach Orgeron, that team that he had on uh, in 2019, obviously a historic, historic squad. Like, you take that team, put them on an NFL roster right now, like that offense is probably being pretty successful, honestly, like those guys. So, obviously, Ked Orgeron, besides that, I don't know. I don't think he really was that existent. I mean, LSU, obviously, is a top, been a top program, but I think, for the most part, <clears throat> they were, they were not, they never really, like, made it that far. But, like, they obviously, he got one national championship, so I guess you could say his time at LSU had to be a success. And, yeah, I don't really know what, what's going to be next for him. I don't know. You think, uh. Can you see Coach Orgeron going to the NFL, coaching the Raiders, or nah? Nah. They, I, if you <laughs> ask me, I no, no, no way. Yeah, nah, I, I don't think so either. But that, I, I don't know. I think I'd like to see that. But I, I definitely don't expect the Raiders to hire a guy like Orgeron from LSU. But honestly, I kind of hope they do. I don't know. I, I just, I like, I like the guy Orgeron. I mean, he's like go Tigers. Like I don't know. I think, I think he's um. I don't know. He's a good coach. Obviously, I think he's the right move right now. But yeah, I don't know. Hopefully, the guy finds a job. I don't know if he'll find a job in college, NFL, or he'll be a head coach or like a defensive, offensive head coordinator. I don't know. But yeah, hopefully, uh, the best of the guy because I kind of like the guy. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he'll be involved in something. You know, what I mean, he used to be like a big, uh, like he was like a defensive line coach at LSU really before he got promoted to be a head coach, to be the head coach. So I'm wondering maybe he'll take a role there, maybe something uh, more on like the defensive side of the ball, but I guess we'll have to wait and see and stuff like that. I think it'll be interesting though now because LSU throws their hat into the coaching pool with USC, you know what I mean? Two premier programs who kind of um, skidding this year, you know what I mean? I think I'm curious. I think LSU probably would be the better job over USC, but I mean, you could definitely argue either ways and sense like that. So definitely, um, 
if you're a young college head coach that's gaining some cra- gaining some traction, it's a good year for you because there's two big jobs open that normally um you'd think that they have coaches locked in there set in stone for 15 years a plus there. So moving on though to the Big Ten core, Iowa, they of course shoot themselves in the foot. They get upset at home by Purdue. They really cost themselves a chance to play in the Big Ten championship. And maybe maybe they will play eventually, but for sure they made the road way harder than it had to be. Whereas if you just beat Purdue, uh, and obviously they're playoff standing too. I mean, they drop to number 11 now. Iowa, like you said, they controlled their own destiny. Their defense has been so good that offense kind of fell behind. They kind of got lucky in a sense against Penn State because Clifford went out at the quarterback position. But yeah, this is what happens if you ask me when you just can't like someone. That's the beauty of college football. You know what I mean? You could look, you could, you could squeeze out the win against Penn State the week before, and then the next week to unranked Purdue, kind of a little bit of a rivalry between those two schools. They get the best of you, and uh, you find yourself really now on the outside looking in. Yeah, I think definitely um, the happiest team right now, obviously, they still were able to control their own destiny. But I think Bama, to see Iowa take a loss here, I think they're definitely like, yeah, we're in the driver's seat now to um, to make the college football playoff. But, yeah, to lay an egg at home, I mean, produce a solid team. But to throw four interceptions at home, I don't know. I mean, just a terrible – I don't know how the committee – Gonna look at this. Obviously, Iowa drops to what? What are they now? They're they're eleven. 11. Yeah, they dropped a lot. I mean, tough loss to them. I mean, rightfully so, dropping seven points at home against Purdue. And yeah, I mean, the thing is, when you're number two team in the country like that, you got to realize like you're gonna get like obviously they they win their fair share of games by by like three touchdowns plus. But if you're a top team like that, it's like a like a perfect example like. Purdue has nothing to lose. They're going to come in in a hostile type environment and and just play with like house money. That's basically what they did. They come out motivated and win the game 24 to 7. And yeah, when you're, when you're the number two team in the country, you're going to get the best shot from uh, from most teams. And that's what happened here. You, you bring up to Alabama probably being the happiest team out there. I'd agree with that in a sense because Alabama would face a real uphill battle if Georgia and Iowa were both undefeated and won their conference. You know what I mean? They would never be able to hop those teams. And then it would be a discussion between like an undefeated Cincinnati versus Alabama, which who knows how that would go and stuff like that. But not to slight Purdue, you know what I mean? I think Purdue, I think they just moved into the rankings as well towards the back end of it. They got some ball players over there. I know David Bell went 11 for 240 against Iowa. One of the best receivers in college football this year. He's had three other games where he's went over 100 yards. So definitely somebody to keep your eye on uh, if you're a whatchamacallit. Big college football guy looking forward to the NFL draft with potential receivers. David Bell, one of those premier guys. Um, moving on to the Big 12 core, Oklahoma State upsets Texas 32-24. Uh, Texas really had the, had them on the ropes early in this game. And Casey Thompson throws like an 85-yard pick, maybe a 75-yard pick six. And it kind of opened the door for Oklahoma State. Gave them life when they necessarily didn't have a lot of it. And they ran with it. They scored, I think, like, uh, I'm trying to think, like 16 unanswered points down the stretch in this game to pull it out classic Texas not being able to finish a game but yeah listen I don't really like Oklahoma State I think they're kind of um overrated as now they're up to eight they played so many close games they're like average like win margin is not high at all it's like one of the lowest for uh what they are in their record I think they just moved to six six and oh or seven and oh now but 
I guess I'll tip my cap to Mike Gundy and the Cowboys because, again, another quality win against Texas. The week before they beat Baylor, this week they beat Texas. They got themselves another tough game at Iowa State this week. But um, if they could potentially win that game against Iowa State, they set themselves up for uh, a potential Big 12 championship versus Oklahoma, which I think would be an awesome game. And I would really split that state of Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to Texas. I mean, another another loss up into uh four and three. I mean, this team should be six and one. I mean, the fact that they lost both games in the last two weeks is just pretty demoralizing. Uh, nah, I, I got to take credit for this loss. I texted Pay. I was like, Texas is back. And then I blink and this guy, this guy Thompson's throwing pick six for like 85 yards. So the whole tech, the whole, if there's any Texas fans listening to this, like this game's on me. But I'm not really sold either on Oklahoma State. I, I mean, like you said, they they win a lot of close games. Like, obviously, this game easily could have lost. I know they beat Boise State by, by like, one point. I don't know. I, I'm just, like, like, there's no way this team is, like, I, I, I have, like, no confidence in, like, Oklahoma State, like, winning the Pac-12, like, the Big 12. Like, I, like, I just can't see that happening. And until it actually does, like, I'm just not going to believe that will ever happen. I don't think they are they are like that. I don't think they're – I don't think they're a top eight team in the country. I mean, obviously, their ranking is they're undefeated. So, obviously, they've won games and give credit to them. But, yeah, I don't think they're, like, a legit, like, contender. I don't think they'll win the Big 12. I don't expect them to make the college football playoff or anything like that. So, yeah, overall, good win for them. But, like, I don't think they're, like, a legit – contender in any type of form in any league or overall yeah I'm, I'm I'm glad that we're kind of on the same page there but listen Iowa State has been a team that I've been very high on going into the year obviously I kind of lost some confidence in them watching them lose a couple games to Iowa then they lost as well to Baylor so it's still going to be a tough game especially in Iowa State for them so hopefully I guess we can see maybe get a better picture of who Oklahoma State really is one last thing I'll touch up on this game is the running backs B. John Robinson continues to make his Heisman push the uh, the best running back in college football again I think yeah, he has to yeah, he's only a sophomore, so he'll be back next year. Um, him versus Anthony Richardson, I guess, would be the battle for Heisman next year. I know I just proclaimed my bold take is Anthony Richardson for Heisman in 2022, but Bijan Robinson's actually I think he's ridiculous. He's gonna be a first round pick if you ask me to that as much as you can say that running back's the value and stuff. He, he's it. You know what I mean? Like he he's that you you watch you watch B. John Robinson play and you're like, that's the guy. But um no credit to uh, a, lot, a lot of credit to uh you also give a lot of credit to Oklahoma State's running back. I mean, Chuba Hubbard's been there the last couple of years. But Jalen Warren, a guy who's a Utah State transfer, you know what I mean? Didn't really play a lot there and stuff. He walks into Oklahoma State now, and he's ran the ball like crazy. Almost ran for 200 yards this past uh, week. He's had over 100 yards each of the last four games. Uh, three of them against uh, – they play Kansas State, then they play Baylor, and then Texas. So good for Jalen Warren and stuff like that. Him and Spencer Sanders, a good, a good running backfield back there. But moving on court to the other uh, team in Oklahoma, uh, the uh, Oklahoma University. Moving on to the other team in Oklahoma, the Sooners. Uh, Caleb Williams was at the helm this week at quarterback. And that offense, they looked real explosive again. They look like the Oklahoma of old. And they hanged 52 points on TCU. Caleb Williams, five touchdowns, total touchdowns, 350 yards uh, rushing and passing. Uh, Spencer Rattler. See ya. That's all I got to say to this. I mean, Lincoln Riley finally got his swagger back. It seemed like that. And uh, yeah, like I said, I don't think there's any way 
uh, Spencer Rattler even honestly is the starting court to start another game for the Sooners pending injury. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly pretty crazy. Spencer Rattler goes from Heisman, like Heisman favorite before the year to to this guy gets benched and this guy is just not going to start another game. I mean, Caleb Williams, I mean, he's a prime example, like make the most of any opportunity you're given. Obviously, a freshman comes in and again in the Red River rivalry and just balls out. And he shows this, that just was not a fluke, has five total touchdowns in this one, four, four in the air, one on the ground. Uh, it was just a great performance in Oklahoma. Looked more dominant in this game than they have with any other game with uh, Spencer Rattler. So, yeah, I I think Spencer Rattler definitely is gone. I don't know. I think he's definitely going to transfer another team. I don't think he'll go to the NFL. So, yeah, I think it's kind of crazy, though, how how quick things have changed for him and, him and Caleb Williams. I don't know. You think, you think Caleb Williams – I mean, you think Spencer Rattler, like, strongly dislikes Caleb Williams? No, I just think that I, – I don't think that he dislikes him. I mean, these guys probably spend so much time together, too, whether it's in the quarterback room, uh, still off the field and stuff like that, obviously. You know what I mean? They play the same positions, so they're always doing the same drills together at practice and stuff like that. I just think Spencer Rattler, if you ask me – I mean, if you want me to – like, he, you can be a little sympathetic for him in the fact that, like, he's kind of like a victim of just how, like, college football is so – like, there's so much pressure on you to be perfect in a sense that they don't have enough time to really – work out the kinks with Rattler. Like, I think Rattler could have definitely won. Like, he would, they would have won this game with Spencer Rattler, at quarterback. They'd won a ton of football games down the center with Spencer Rattler. But to ensure that they get into the college football playoffs and their best chance to win a national championship right now is Caleb Williams. And even if Spencer, like, you could argue that maybe it could be Spencer Rattler if he just got right and got hot down the stretch. But they, they can't afford that. You know, they can't lose another game. They can't really lose a game and expect to be in the college football playoffs. They have to win now. Caleb Williams, for what Rattler and Caleb have shown, is the better option right now. So you go with Caleb Williams, you ride it, ride it out with him and see where that road takes you. But yeah, I think, I think in a way it, it's unfortunate for Rattler, but at the end of the day, you know what I mean? Competition's a part of the game. Williams came in, like you, like you said, as a true freshman competed. And when the opportunity presented itself, he took it around with it. Like any coach tells you, you know what I mean? Be prepared because you never know when you're going to go to it. It's a great story for coaches to be like that. They could be like, oh, look what I, you don't think that you'll ever get in behind this guy? Well, look, Spencer Rattler was the Heisman, the projected number one overall pick and the projected Heisman, I should say. Um, and look, weeks, what are we going into week eight? Or well, this past week was week seven of college football. He's not even playing. So a good story in that sense for coaches to tell uh those those who don't, who aren't getting a lot of time on their football team, but core after that little um little inspirational uh part that uh we, we don't get too often we'll bring into our game picks. I got a couple of picks on the slate that I want to discuss. First, I'll touch the ACC. I don't think we've talked about the ACC in a while because they're kind of a lost conference. Shame too because Miami and North Carolina played this past week, played a real good game, and uh both of them were uh, like i think they're both on they were both unranked before that game so you know i mean it doesn't even have like the allure that it should but clemson travels to Pitt this week Pitt's actually ranked in this game they're 23rd in the country i mentioned this game too because i've mentioned a couple guys like david bell earlier who um 
I've had a real good season that we really haven't touched on this year. Kenny Pickett is one of the guys. Kenny Pickett also has been at Pittsburgh forever. I think, like, I, I actually think Kenny Pickett, like, this is like its fourth year starting at Pitt. It's unbelievable and stuff like that. I mean, the guy's thrown twenty for twenty-one touchdowns, only one interception on the year. This Pitt offense core is averaging over five hundred yards uh, a game and. 48 over 48 points a game uh i think they're gonna beat clemson for sure i think they're gonna cover three points clemson is a mess they barely squeezed out a win against syracuse uh and i think Pitt kind of like has the chance for sure to run with this acc i like them this past week against virginia tech virginia tech's a tough place to play at they have no problem handling them so yeah i'm gonna go with Pitt here and uh a crazy thing that if you would have said preseason i mean some people wouldn't have said some people would have said pick it back at Pitt is huge for them but uh, Pitts came up short the past couple of years against Clemson. I know that's always been a high-profile game in the ACC. But I think finally they're able to get over the hump and beat Clemson this week. Yeah, for sure. I think if you see Clemson underdog, like, it's a trap. Don't – do not take them. It's got to be a trap. And I think this is a prime example. I mean, Clemson has looked terrible pretty much all year. Their offense has just struggled. And, yeah, I expect Pittsburgh to win this game and cover uh, cover minus three. I just think, like, they squeezed out a victory in, in Syracuse. They, they score 19 points against Boston College. They lose to NC State. Like, they've just looked really bad all year. So, I think Pittsburgh wins this game and covers the spread. Yeah, I mean, Pitt also beat, like, Tennessee. You know what I mean? That's, like, a, a quality. I'm not going to say Tennessee did just lose that tough game to Ole Miss this past week. But what I'm saying is that, like, Pitt has beat some quality opponents, whereas – Clemson has given you absolutely no reason to watch him call it. And like you said, like there's a reason why Clemson, like Clemson is not the better team in this game. There's a reason why there are underdogs in this game. And I'm sure they're like, they're pulling strings um, back then. But besides the point, uh, moving on to the big 12 battle that I was talking about earlier, number eight, Oklahoma state travels to Iowa state. Iowa state is seven point favorites as a team being unranked. Yes. Iowa state was the preseason, like number seven team. Yes. They still have a ton of talent on both sides of the ball. They still have pretty, uh, Brees Hall there and stuff like that. Brock Purdy also is there, which for better or worse. But core, this is I, I know I think I said it before they lost to Baylor that it'd be the last time. This is the last time I'll put my faith in Iowa State. I think they win this game because, because it's Oklahoma State, man. I just don't see it in Oklahoma State, man. I can watch them. I just don't see it. So I'm gonna go with Iowa State to win here. I will go with Oklahoma State to keep it close. I think seven points is a little too much. I think maybe they're like they're better. They, you know, I mean they're good. Give, give them a little bit of respect, especially the way that they battled in the second half against Texas and was able to come all the way back. But yeah, I'm gonna go with Iowa State here in a game that just seems way too fishy to me. So what about what about you? Yeah, I mean, I think for, for Iowa State to be unranked here and to be seven-point favorites, it's, it is pretty fishy. I think the um, – I don't know, maybe they just have no confidence in Oklahoma State. But, yeah, I think in this one, I think I'm, I'm going to go with Oklahoma State plus seven. But I, I think Iowa State has to come away with a win here, and I think they do. But, yeah, I think seven points is a lot here for the number eight team in the country against an unranked opponent. So, yeah, I'll take – I'll take Oklahoma State to cover, but I think Iowa State wins the game. Yeah, listen, Iowa State did just have a nice win this past week against Kansas State. So maybe they're banking on Iowa State bouncing back here. Another big win, though, for Iowa State, a potential like big spot for Iowa State. Maybe to like kind of salvage their season in a sense. I know where they sit in the Big 12 isn't great right now, but I, the chance of them playing in the Big 12 championship, pretty, pretty low. But they got, they got to tell Baylor and Oklahoma, you beat – Oklahoma, I mean, they got to jump Baylor and Oklahoma State to play Oklahoma, but you jump, uh, you beat Oklahoma State this week, 
Who knows? You give yourself a chance. But that's going to do it for today's episode. Be sure to check us out on the Instagram at the deep ball underscore. Uh, hoping for a good week, good competitive week of both college football and the NFL. And uh, yeah, that's going to do it. Take care, everybody. Have a good one.